a global criminal conspiracy, a prince, a jailed socialite, and a billionaire who may or may not have been murdered. Welcome to the world of the Jeffrey Epstein, The Prince and the Pervert podcast. Journalists Lisa and Jen bring you the ultimate deep dive. Hello and welcome to the Prince and the Pervert podcast. My name is Lisa Tate and with me today I have my partner in justice, Jen Tarrant. Hello, Jen. Hello, everyone. Been a big few weeks with the Ghislaine Maxwell trial and we are journalists and we're lucky enough to have had Jen monitoring US v Maxwell very closely on overnight shifts last week. Thank you, Jen. Well, I have to say thank you to a couple of people who were in the court sending me information on the sly. Thanks, boys. <laughs> we love that. So welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, today we have some names, names, names that we're waiting on and we've got an update on the Epstein Little Black Book or was it Ghislaine's, Jen? Oh, I'm saying it's Ghislaine's. So am I. And in the meantime, I've got some updates about Ghislaine's husband, Scott Borgeson, Jen. What's going on there? We haven't seen him yet. And we're coming into the third week of the trial. We have a few days off at the moment. And then we're going to be seeing the defence mount its case. Is that right? That's right. And it could go on for a long time. Well, yes, you'll talk about those names in a second. I'm going to talk about some victim blaming and, as usual, it's coming from the UK. What is that? And I can say that because I'm tracking these things on our website, jeffreyepsteinpodcast.com, and I'll put a link in the show notes so you can see what I'm talking about to give you some context. And kind of relating to that, well, in my theory anyway, we have some Prince Andrew news. It's not going to be a great Christmas for him, Jen. I heard he's getting coal. Coal? In his stocking. He's getting coal. Do you know that's a luxury item from where I come from? We mine for it. But that's all he's going to have in his stocking because mummy doesn't want him over for Christmas. Especially since that photo of Maxwell and Epstein turned up at the court last week. They were at the log cabin on the Queen's Balmoral estate. The little hideaway. And they were photographed in the same spot as the Queen had been on a separate occasion. So I don't think she would have been amused by that at all. We are not amused. Do you know Queen Victoria claims she never said that? But why put facts in the way of a good story, Jen? Exactly. Because there's been a lot of crap going on about cover-up conspiracies on the wavelengths, hasn't there? It's been ridiculous. A lot of people have been saying, especially when the government said they were wrapping up, that they were resting their case. There was a huge explosion, especially in the chess-beating man world out there, who obviously have never read the actual charges because they kept carrying on that it's a cover-up, that they hadn't featured the rapes of XYZ survivors. And what about Clinton? And all these other things. But the timing of this tracks. Back in October, I spoke about the documents when both sides were asked to suggest how long it would be. Everybody's thinking that they were going to run at the same time. The government said two, possibly three weeks, bang, two weeks they have. And then the defence was saying, two, we're about to start that period. Well, you read the documents, Jen. 
But there are a lot of people who read an article or two and decide their confirmation bias that it's got to be a conspiracy. But the reason why these charges are so narrow is because they're trying to prove the charges against Ghislaine for sex trafficking. Yes, sex trafficking. And the other fact is that the unit within the Southern District of New York that is prosecuting this, it's the Office of Public Corruption. Exactly. So the prosecution in Maxwell's sex trafficking trial wrapped up its case last week after a key accuser testified the former socialite, Maxwell, and her companion, Jeffrey Epstein, assaulted her when she was 16. So we had Annie Farmer on the stand. She actually used her real name and she spoke about her experience after meeting Epstein in New York City and going to his New Mexico ranch. Also last week, we heard from Carolyn, one of the minor victims in the case. She was from Florida's West Palm Beach. Josie here from The Telegraph in London reported on Carolyn's testimony and she said, quote, her account was so graphic at points that Ms Maxwell's older brother, Kevin, shuffled uncomfortably in his front row seat, bowing his head down almost to his knees. Her testimony poses the biggest challenge for Maxwell's defence team, which had portrayed early accusers as enamoured of Epstein's wealth and Ms Maxwell's charm. Here was Carolyn, an incredibly young girl with an absent mother allegedly taken advantage of by the couple for nothing more than a few hundred dollar bills. One of Ghislaine's lawyers, Jeffrey Pagluccia, Pag, Pag, he has been, I suppose it's his job, but whether it's appropriate in the Me Too era, I don't know. But he spent over an hour, according to this report, wrestling with Carolyn over minor details about time and dates. No jurors, according to the Telegraph, appeared to be making any notes, which can be a bad sign for the defence. Josie interviewed a former federal prosecutor, Mitchell Epner, who said if the jurors initially believed they had a truth teller in front of them when in brackets, an accuser was testifying, close brackets, it takes a lot of cross-examination to make a jury say, oh, I've been hoodwinked. Better luck next time, Pag. And Pag going on about the time and her memory and then bringing in inferences, oh, you take drugs and you drink, you could tell where he was going. But we also have to remember this is a period of time when there was no Instagram, no smartphones, no text messages to refer back to, all that type of evidence that would be available today, not just to prove an incident, but also to show a timeline. It's missing. But also with PAG, he's the one that's been dropping the minor victims' names as well publicly. Constantly, even after being told by the judge not to. The next thing out of his mouth was another name. So an old white guy attacking a female survivor of child sexual assault, it's not a good look. No, it's not. And she also spent jail time due to, well, trauma, her horrific past, because she was also abused by a grandfather. And it was drug addiction, which is an illness. It is an illness. She spent time in jail. And yet Ghislaine Maxwell has allegedly done so much more and is complaining about being held. Well, I just think Pag is from the Stone Age. I know he's got a job to do, but I'm not amused by it. I think it's dangerous dropping the names of minor victims. 
And are they doing it to send a message to other people who are thinking of taking them on? Yes, definitely. Absolutely. So, Pag, I don't know how you sleep at night. He probably doesn't give a shit what I think. But all I can say is, and I've watched the succession finale, Jen. Oh, fuck off. Guess what, Jen Taron? Who have you found? Well, I haven't found him, but Scott Borgeson, who is Ghislaine's alleged husband, spouse, whatever you want to call him, well... Jen, things have moved along in his life. He hasn't turned up in court. And that's what I was thinking. He's made out that they were so close and so in love and she was so enmeshed in his life in that letter to the court to try and get her bail. But suddenly he's nowhere to be found because, according to the New York Post, who did some magnificent journalism on this, he's been found with his new love. So, Jen, his new companion, her name is Chris McGinn. She's a local writer for the Cricket Newspaper and a yoga enthusiast who has, don't complain, these are not my words, an ass that could crack open a walnut. And what's more interesting is we were looking at timelines. So we know from the FBI that Maxwell didn't have any contact via phone with Ball in the three months leading up to her arrest. Then at pretrial services, she said she was divorcing her spouse, so there was no need to hand over the name. Become the first bail attempt. Oh, they were loving it. She just said that to stop him being harassed by the press. So, Jen, that's very relevant. Very relevant that you mention that because she separated from her husband in mid 2020. Ooh. So we might want to ask her if there was any overlap, allegedly, no judgment. What do you think, Jen? If he's found true love and she has, we can't judge them. Well, in my opinion, okay, so there was the first lot of documents that Ghislaine gave to pretrial services to try and get bail. And she said she was getting divorced from her spouse. That's why she didn't want to name them. But then she came back with, no, we're in love. I'm trying to protect him from the media, the media. Then we got this long, convoluted letter about their love and how amazing it was. From him with a God bless the survivors. I'm praying for them. Okay, so... I think that the court was misled. I think Borgeson and Maxwell broke up. If you look at the FBI phone records, if you look at what she initially said, and now this woman breaking up from her husband, I don't know. Could be a coincidence. So if anyone's going to a yoga class and they bump into Chris Majin in Manchester by the sea, ask her. But what they've said here in the New York Post, which I think is quite poetic, Ghislaine Maxwell's future husband became intoxicated by the limelight. The beautiful heiress shined on his life. Now Scott Borgeson, who secretly married Maxwell in 2016, has left her to face the glare of international incrimination alone, while he jaunts around his exclusive coastal New England town in sports cars, often in the company of an attractive new female friend. Apparently she is absolutely delighted and bubbling over with enthusiasm for her new relationship. Beautiful heiress? Mmm. Did you know, Jen? He gives her a kissy kiss every time they're together, one observer noticed. A source says the two have spent weekends together when Miss McGinn didn't have to watch her children and that she was bubbling about the relationship. Well... You never know. This is probably the best thing that's happened to Scott for quite a while. Well, at least since, what, 2012, Jen? Yes, seeing as we've tracked them back that far. 
Yes. So sources say she's in the process of divorcing her husband. So when's Scott going to divorce Ghislaine? Well, we haven't seen a marriage certificate yet, have we? No. But poor old Borge, according to the New York Post, doesn't have a lot of friends right now. He's sick of the media, claims he's being stalked. Well, I'd like to know what he's doing with the money in trust. The $20 million? Yes. Seeing as there is forfeiture charges and perjury charges that will be dealt with later on in a separate trial, he may not have that money for much longer. Well, don't dip into it, Scott, for an engagement ring or anything, okay? Imagine the interest he might be earning. Yes. Okay, so there's been a bit of argy-bargy, as we say, about Exhibit 52. Now, Exhibit 52 is the black book. Ghislaine Maxwell referred to it in her deposition in April 2016, and thankfully the government brought that up because she and her team have been trying to say it's not real. But in the deposition, she was carrying on about that stolen document that it had been stolen from Epstein's house. Judge Nathan dropped an order. The government seeks to admit what has been identified as Government Exhibit 52 and submit to the jury a redacted version of GX 52. The defence objects to the admission on authentication and hearsay grounds. That means the defence is saying that you can't prove it's that and it's all just bullshit, it's gossip. The admissibility of this exhibit has been the subject of pre-trial motions in limine briefing and extensive supplemental briefings. In other words, there's been six other dockets put in from the defence trying to get this black book thrown out of the proceedings. Now, the court did reserve ruling on this exhibit pending what was anticipated to be additional testimony. Now, Juan Alessi, who was the manager at Palm Beach for a short time, he blew it out of the water talking about the black book and the manual and the fact that the household manual also referred to the phone books. And at the end of this eight-page document from Judge Nathan, she goes, for the foregoing reasons, the court overrules the defence objections to 52. The parties are ordered to confer and propose a limiting instruction consistent with this ruling on or before December 9. The parties got together and this is what was put on the docket. This is the joint proposed instruction that the judge will read out to the jury. This exhibit is being offered for a limited purpose. It is not being offered for the truth of the matters asserted therein and you may not consider it for that purpose. Rather, you may consider it only to the extent you believe it is relevant to show a link, if any, between Ms Maxwell and the names and phone numbers listed and how, if at all, the information was organised. It's letting them put the black book to the jury as part of their deliberations. But it doesn't give the defence any leeway, I suppose. It's got to stay. But today there's been a bit of argy-bargy. Ghislaine Maxwell's team is going to call 35 witnesses. That's an insane amount of people. We thought we were going to get another two weeks of court. I think it's going to go a little bit further, unless, of course, it's a one or two line sentence from each person. So who are they asking for? We don't know yet, do we? First off, the government said 
and it respectfully submits this letter seeking an order directing the defence to provide the government with the witnesses it anticipates calling next week. The government previewed for several days prior to the close of the government's case that it would rest sometime last week, which has happened. Following the close of the government's case, the government requested that the defence provide the government with Rule 26.2 material along with a list of witnesses and an order of the first witnesses. The court ordered the defence to do so, saying, yes, you'll do that. And it continues, Friday evening, the defence sent the government a letter attached as Exhibit A, which of course we can't see. The letter identifies 35 defence witnesses in alphabetical order, with no information about the order in which the witnesses would be called. The government conferred with the defence about witness order yesterday and was informed that more information would be forthcoming. The government has not received further information. So that went up today, and about an hour or two later, something came from Bobby Sternham. I write to inform the court that the defence has provided the government with the tentative order of the first several defence witnesses. We have informed the government that we are still trying to make travel arrangements for defence witnesses, many of whom are coming from locations out of the district and abroad, and we have not been able to reach counsel for some of the witnesses over the weekend. We have further informed the government that the order of witness is subject to change and we will advise the government if we think the order will change as travel plans solidify. We also inform the government that three of the defence witnesses have requested to testify under their first names or under a pseudonym. The government opposes this request. The court's ruling on this issue may impact the willingness of these witnesses to testify, thereby compromising Miss Maxwell's right to present her defence and may affect the witness order. So that's an interesting take here. We have several witnesses coming from abroad and three wish to have a pseudonym. So we've got several from locations abroad. I believe those would be siblings and old schoolmates who will testify to her character, not against the facts of the case, but her character. But three of them wanting their names suppressed? You have to wonder who these people are, that they're not prepared to stand up and defend Ghislaine Maxwell with their real name. No doubt some of them will be expert witnesses, probably in false memories or I don't know, someone who talks about compensation for victims. Now, the order of which the witnesses appear is also important. You start off with a bang and you finish with a bang, which is what we saw with the government's witnesses. We ended with Annie, who was so staunch and so clear and so strong. So it's going to be interesting to see, one, the list and the order they come in. I'm hoping Isabel's beret makes an appearance. But the big question is, Lisa, do you think Ghislaine Maxwell will take the stand herself? I think people are saying it's absolutely not going to happen and her lawyers would not want her under cross-examination. But she thinks she's the smartest person in the room. Like her father, from what I've read and observed and listened to certain people talk about her over the years, 
I think she has such a gigantic ego and the fact that she has the final say, she's the boss of her lawyers, isn't she? She may turn up if they cannot persuade her. If things are getting desperate enough and it's getting to her, I'd like to see it happen. Because remember, even though that deposition in 2016 that she did ended up with her in hot water, she still turned up and didn't plead the fifth on anything. That's right. She instead thumped tables and kept yelling, Virginia lies. She's a liar. She lies, lies, lies. She got pretty violent in there. The other thing I would like to say is last week that came out to me is when Kate, the minor victim from the UK, was talking about Ghislaine and saying she loved being around her, she was lots of fun, but Kate was only 17 at the time and she felt like she was an older sister. So I think to a degree there's some arrested development going on with Ghislaine. For her to, I'm not saying she's guilty or anything, but for her to be in this situation... There's something going on there. She's very petulant in her answers as well. That's the take I got from reading out all those depositions. Well, I think if you had lived the life she had, you're not used to being questioned. Definitely not. Now, a lot of people have complained that another part of the O cover-up was because employee number one, who was going to be a witness, it was decided by the government that she didn't need to appear. Now, employee number one was there to authenticate the black book. Alessi did that. Alessi well and truly covered that. There was no going back from what he said. So, but it also gave them the chance to end on the Friday, knowing that there were three days off due to scheduling issues with the judge, and therefore they'd have that witness list on a Friday and would be able to spend the weekend and the next three days processing about how they would cross-examine these witnesses, trying to work out what play the defence were doing with these particular witnesses. So, of course, the defence team not handing over the list of the schedule in which the witnesses will fall, they were playing silly buggers. It meant the government couldn't actually get really stuck in. So, this next couple of weeks, we'll see plenty of witnesses all describing Galena as perfect. There will also be witnesses on the stand to combat what the minor victim witnesses have said, what Alessia said. There'll be some dirt file stuff thrown around again. But the good thing is, defence puts this witness up on the stand, they question them, and then the government has the chance to cross-examine. And then, of course, after the government has cross-examined, the defence can then stand up and do what's called a redirect. As in, if the witness gives away something that doesn't suit Ghislaine, they can try and drag it back on track. And I think I have to bring up again about the minor victims who were placed on the stand. They may be women now. When you've had such trauma, have gone through such abuse, alleged abuse, you remember it with the age and the maturity level that you had at that time. And knowing about Caroline's background, her family life or lack of the previous abuse that she'd had. She wasn't just a 14-year-old. She was a much younger and troubled 14-year-old on that stand. It wasn't an adult woman. The same goes for Jane. The same goes for Kate, who was 17. She's not allowed to be called a minor victim. And also for Annie. She was 16. And I'd like to say, as someone who has quite a collection of cowboy boots, I did not like at all Laura Manager, one of Ghislaine's lawyers, basically saying cowboy boots, you wear them to go two-stepping, you're a bit of a slut. Well, I am a slut then. I have quite a collection. 
It was really, really interesting the banging on they did about the fact that Annie wore those cowboy boots that Epstein and Maxwell bought her. But you had an interesting point about that, Lisa. So Annie Farmer has a PhD in psychology. So getting those boots out and walking in them again were about her reclaiming her power over what happened to her. And it's about repositioning those boots so that they're not just a memory from a trauma. They're something else. So perhaps now she looks at them and goes, okay, those boots. On that stand, she regained all her power. Oh, she did. She was a queen. So maybe those boots have yet another meaning, Bobby. She had cowboy boots on and one of the press corps asked her about it and she said, no, they're not Western boots, they're Eastern boots. We're in New York. The gall of her. Yep. Well, I wore my cowboy boots all weekend for Annie. Well, you know, she's supposedly some great feminist lawyer. Really? At the end of the day, do not trust someone who perpetually wears their collar up unless they're in an extra in a movie. But what's the betting that no one's real name gets accidentally blurted out in the next week or two? Because that was appalling. So many times Pag was pulled up and so many times he kept doing it. And if it wasn't the name of the victim, it was a sibling's name or a partner's name. Now, Adam Classfield from Law Crime News did a wonderful wrap-up of Annie on the stand and, like many other people, pointed out that she was hitting goals. So, Lisa, do you think that Ghislaine might try and get the call for up to testify for her? Well, I don't know. Do you think they're at the point now where they think they've got nothing to lose? I think it's the fact that it's the public corruption unit dealing with this case. I think they're going to go back and revisit that 2008 Florida case and investigate that later. I think that's why the government didn't bring any of the core four in as witnesses, because there could have been the gossip running later that they were offered a deal. Exactly. And deals are toxic in this case because of the non-prosecution deal that was knitted up by Jeffrey Epstein and his lawyer, Alan Dershowitz, who, by the way, is talking on a lot of podcasts considering he's not got much time left on the planet, Chen, according to him. Well, I think he's just trying to avoid dealing with the defamation case that Virginia Dufresne has brought against him. Yes, and I also think that he's doing a bit of a Tom Girardi. You know how Tom said now, oops, I've got dementia. Well, oops, and we're all dying, Dersh, and Dersh is saying he's dying. Just some of us know that we're dying and others don't know when we're dying. So interesting to see him doing media interviews this week. But will Dersh be one of the witnesses? Could you imagine that? Oh, <laughs> He will be brought in to talk about the compensation and back up the pushing that these girls are only after the money. I just want to say something. Okay, because he was a visitor of the house, Alan Dershowitz. Okay, so he was Trump's lawyer, OJ's lawyer and Epstein's lawyer. So he used to go visit the house and he went to the island. So he went to the house in Palm Beach. We've heard that there were photos of naked girls everywhere, yet Alan Dershowitz either didn't see them or didn't take note of them. He'll probably say due to his age he has sight problems now, Jen. Yeah, I was going to say that. Can he sue his optometrist? <laughs> we see you, Dersh. You might not be able to see us, but we see you. 
because they're going to push that these girls are after money. That's why the compensation fund from the Virgin Islands was a big deal, especially with the first victim, Jane, because she got several million, I think three million after legal fees. And they hounded her because she didn't mention Ghislaine Maxwell in her submission to the fund. But she wasn't asked about her. Exactly. That fund came from Jeffrey Epstein's estate. It was to detail their abuse at the hands of Jeffrey Epstein. Now, speaking of payouts, and as I was saying before, I have an issue with how the UK press behaves in this, not all of them, some of them. There's an article that ran in the Times, Jen, Times of London. Andrew Accuser received £7 million in legal payouts by Depeche Gadher. So the woman who's suing Prince Andrew for sexual assault when she was a teenager is likely, see, they don't know, is likely to have received at least $7 million in payouts. Okay, so I was listening to some lawyers talk today about this case and the payouts, they're saying, is something that any defence lawyer has to pursue. But these women were obviously seen as victims. That's the other side of it. So you can push that, oh, you're out for money. But if you're given $7 million, including, and Jen can go into this now, she was made except by the state of Florida due to that non-prosecution deal. What's going on here? Yes, the first lot of compensation to any of Epstein's survivors was in 2009 and it was started by the state of Florida. It was the state of Florida that contacted Virginia to be involved. She didn't chase them down. None of those victims chased down for money. It went to them. The government contacted them. The government started it. Now, part of that settlement was a little statement they all signed, an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement. And it's that settlement from 2009 that Prince Andrew is saying protects him, which means that he says Virginia can't sue him. Dersh himself is also claiming the same thing. And Prince Andrew's team put Dersh in it too and stated that he is covered, as is Professor Alan Dershowitz. So that first lot of compensation, none of those girls went for it. It was given to them. The state pursued it for them. So as we know, Prince Andrew denies the claims that he assaulted Virginia when she was just 17, and his lawyers accused Dufrey of seeking another payday. They're trying to make it about money. They're trying to just colour these girls. But we know for a fact, Jen, there's a giant strategy behind all of this. Yeah. Some of the sharpest legal minds in the USA are helping the survivors. And Prince Andrew, I can tell you now, and I've had some dipshit on Reddit argue with me about this, but it's not about money for her, this one. And they said, oh, but, you know, she sent him a settlement agreement. But you have to kind of do that anyway as part of the process because the judge is going to go, oh, why don't you go back and try and mediate or, you know, look at a settlement. But Andrew didn't respond anyway. But I can tell you this is about accountability in the eyes of the law. And I don't even think Virginia's thinking of herself now. She's thinking about trying to demolish the structure of sex trafficking. And what do you do? You go to someone who's high profile and you see, you rustle the tree and you see what falls to the ground and what you can find out. Because Jeffrey Epstein was not the only sex trafficker in the world. No, he wasn't. And unfortunately, it's not stopping with this case. Now, Peter Nygaard, the Finnish-Canadian fashion or polyester designer, he is currently being held in Toronto. There's been several appearances via Zoom. There's sort of a media blackout but he will be appearing again, I understand, early January. 
But the problem is for the Canadian North American survivors of Nygaard, they were getting funding from the Bahamas from a special foundation for them to do therapy. Unfortunately, that money has dried out. So there's dozens and dozens of women who are now in limbo who cannot access decent therapy. Now, these women have had, and I've read a lot of the documents, the stories are horrific, the abuse, and it's not just one woman saying one thing, the same stories, the same situations pop up over and over again. And when I delve more into Nygaard, there's going to have to be some serious trigger warnings because some of it, he was an animal. Let's just say that. Now, there's a Canadian woman called Shannon Maroney, and I'm going to read out the GoFundMe that she recently put up. I'm an author, therapist, and advocate supporting dozens of survivors of accused serial rapist and sex trafficker Peter Nygaard, who is currently in detention awaiting trial in Toronto. There are several of us providing the saving trauma therapy to survivors across North America and internationally. We need a minimum of 10K for each survivor each year to provide weekly trauma therapy and a minimum of 5K per survivor each year for additional support such as physiotherapy, for recovery from physical injuries, support to return to school, and for, in some cases, the provision of basic needs. Shannon's goal is to raise $500,000 by New Year's Eve to be able to provide the trauma therapy for Nygaard survivors through 2022 and beyond. So far, 130 survivors have come forward to law enforcement in Canada, the US and the Bahamas and other countries. For the past 18 months, therapy has been made available to survivors through the generous support of a non-profit organisation in the Bahamas. It's called Our Sanctuary. On the 1st of December, Our Sanctuary announced the sudden end to all funding for survivors outside of the Bahamas. Despite their efforts, they just simply cannot keep up with the demand in the Bahamas and in America. So they've taken the decision to support the Bahama locals first. Shannon is setting up a non-profit organisation, the Heal for Real Foundation, but it won't be operational for at least two years. But these therapy sessions need to continue for these North American women. Shannon has put up a GoFundMe. We will list details on the website and in the show notes. And of course, I'll be tweeting them because these women, they matter too. Well, as you know, Jen, we're getting close to the holiday period and the Queen, I'm sure she'll be glad when 2021 is over, but at the moment she's been left in the dark over Prince Andrew's defence strategy as the sex case looms. January the 4th is a big day where the court will decide whether this case is proceeding to trial. But apparently, quote, and this was in the mirror, Prince Andrew has been less than forthcoming over how he will battle the allegations despite the Queen paying his hefty legal fees, leaving her in the dark. He's not answering questions with the Queen, Prince Charles or Prince William. Well, the two princes, I'd be worried they'd leak against me. So for once, I actually back up Andrew on this one. So apparently there's, oh, I love this, infighting between Andrew's UK solicitor, Gary Bloxham, and his newly hired Hollywood hotshot lawyer, Andrew Brettler. Oh, Jen, to be a fly on the wall. I would love to see that. What are they fighting about? They don't like each other. They have, quote, a severe clash in personalities. That's great. 
I know. Isn't that incredible? So if someone was spending my millions defending themselves in another country, I'd want a bit of accountability and maybe that's what Bloxham's trying to get. I don't know. What happened to the woman who was in the UK who had represented Augusto Pinochet? Is she kind of on the Claire someone? Is she on the back blocks now for the moment? She refused service of the papers when Virginia was trying to serve the prince. All that lot went, no, not us. He had to find other representation. Okay, because Bloxham's been around for a while. So now we've just got one guy in the UK and then the US team, but there are a couple of people in the US as well because he's got that female lawyer as well who represented Harvey Weinstein. But I just think it's fabulous and I would like to read their emails. So basically the guys are fighting. He's not going to be invited to Christmas with the Queen and he's getting coal in his stocking. Ah, well, how the tables turn, Andrew. You can't run forever. Oh, will he be a witness? Could you imagine it? Maybe he wants to he wants to go under another name. I was about to say that. What could he be called? Randy. Randy, yes. Or helicopter boy? That's a good one. Andrew Ferguson? Oh, yes. Maybe Fergie might get called. He's got many names to choose from, so Andrew, we would love to see you testify. Although he can't come to America, Jen, because he'll maybe the FBI want to have a chat with him. Well, they do want to have a chat with him. It can't be the Vienna boys quiet, even though they would all say she's never touched me and provide great testimony, but they've never met her, so I don't know. Could be Sarah Ferguson, you say? Could be. Okay, Fergie, let us know. Fergie, Dersh. A lot of quality names there who've been long associated with this case. And there'll probably be a few hostile witnesses who really don't want to be there. Mm. Okay, well, that's all from us today. Thank you so much for listening. My name's Lisa Tate, and you can find me on Twitter at Lisa Podcasts. And we've also got an Instagram page and a Facebook group, and we're on YouTube. Just search Prince and the Pervert. And Jen is at Oh Really Truly. And I will be doing more recording this week for our Patreons. Yes, so our Patreons, they get all our content first. And we've already done one and we hope to do some more, one exclusive live in the group as well. So I file in the morning first off straight to Patreon. So that's where it's all happening. So if you'd like to join us, you can do so from $3 Australian a month. And I'll be reading out the transcripts of the various witnesses, but unlike Pag, I won't be using the names that he does let slip. Jen's just uploaded recently Epstein's pilot from day one. Larry, big dog, Visoski. We go way back with Larry, shout out. But not to his daughter, Brooke. No, don't swear at me, Brooke. Okay, so thank you so much. Have a great week and we'll see you around. On Thursday morning, bright and early, I'll be up. Bye. Bye. Hi, it's Lisa here. Do you want to help us produce the Prince and the Pervert podcast? One of our kind listeners has been asking how they can support us. So we've started a Patreon account, which not only benefits you in terms of extra content and exclusive content, it also helps us just cover our costs. At the end of the day, this is a labour of love and we're determined to follow the case until the end. These women absolutely matter. That's why we're doing this work. And we are all in this together. Details of the Patreon account are in the show notes. Thank you.